everyone. I'm Dave Sandell. And I'm Caleb Gardner. And this is the Best Album 4 Podcast, a podcast where we talk about the best album for sweater weather. Caleb, this is the best time of the year. <laughs> I think it's funny because I'm sure it'll be cold by the time this comes out, yeah, right. but it's like 90 <laughs> degrees today. <laughs> I feel this sense of I still want to put on my sweaters and drink warm apple cider. And I'm just Me like too. waiting till the sun goes down so that it's a little chilly. Me too. My perfect fall is, first of all, the perfect season. It's my favorite season. But also the perfect weather to me is when it is just slightly nippy. You know what I mean? It's like just brisk enough to need that jacket. I don't know. What is that? Like low 60s maybe or upper 60s? Probably depends on how acclimated you are to being hot. Because I feel like when you're used to hot weather, like those degrees can feel very different. Like you're coming out of winter, all of a sudden six late 60s feels like summer. But if you're coming into it, pro- it's probably more like, you know. 68 or something i'd like to be even a little cooler like if we could live in the 50s for like four straight months i'd be really happy because then i'm comfortable never sweaty that sounds amazing i would take it what why do we both not live in like the pacific northwest is what we're saying because it legitimately is that weather all year long Well, i read i read somewhere you know they say that it rains all the time in seattle and i read somewhere that that is what they say chicago had fewer days with sun than Seattle did earlier this year. And it was like, yes. Oh boy. A few years ago, I think this may have been pandemic when we were doing the existential crisis thing of like, do we want to live in Chicago? You know, like everyone pandemic is like, what are we doing with our lives? And we looked into like places. Okay. If we want to move, maybe now is the time. And I remember looking at Seattle because we both love mountains and nature and we're like, it'd be great. And it was that it was like Seattle had an equal amount of sunny days. Famously cloudy Seattle has an equal amount of sunny days that Chicago has. It's super depressing. I will say we did our honeymoon in the central coast of Oregon. So we're there in like early August. It's supposed to be like the hottest time of the year. And it was in Chicago, but in Oregon, it was freezing. We tried to like go to the ocean and just, you know, the ocean breeze, whatever. It was so much colder. We were in sweaters in early August. And I thought, I don't know if I want this. I kind of want this all the time when I'm living in Chicago and it's super hot. But I would miss it. I think that I like seasons. I like knowing that fall is coming. And then when fall is here, I totally appreciate it and completely embrace it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Do you appreciate it more because you get it less? Nay, that's the uh, silver lining of four seasons. I think that's right. I would be very sad to leave seasons. Although when we're in the worst of the heat or the worst of the cold, it's hard not to want to just go someplace where it's the same temperature year round. Yeah, I I also really love summer in Chicago, so I would miss that probably. I feel like summer in Chicago is really hard to beat. I love summer in Chicago. I love, especially when the sun is out, I think Chicago never looks more pretty and vibrant. But I would trade all the hot weather. There's a point in Chicago summers where I just stay indoors. And then what good is it living in Chicago? Yeah, but I feel like because in winter, we all stay indoors. By the time summer rolls around, everyone's so much more appreciative of the warm weather. Like, you've never seen a happier group of people than Chicagoans in the spring. It is true. And we'll do an episode on that next year because it is a uniquely good time for playing different types of music. I find that the fall, it goes, it used to go by really quickly. Like I used to be really sad that it was kind of a three week three or four week experience and now thanks to climate change it kind of lasts until like late november early december thanks to climate change (laughs) thanks climate change (laughs) 
I just want to say this for the record. If climate change fucks up my fall, I'm going to be so upset. <laughs> I think it's permanently made our winters more mild and our falls more extended. Although this super cold in June and super hot in October thing is a little it's taking some use getting used to. Yeah. And I would trade it for the planet not being on fire and, and dying. I would trade all of that. <laughs> I also just feel like Dave cursed us for a really terrible winter by saying that. He just set us on the path for a deeply cold winter. We're due, man. We haven't had one in like like five years. It's been so long since we've had a really it ha- cold winter. It has been a while. I hope I'm still not hoping for it, but yeah, it has been a while. We've had some pretty mild winters. We're getting into our, our winter episode now, but we during the pandemic embraced being outside and learned what kind of gear we need to be happy yeah, outside. And, and so we feel more prepared for living in the worst of winter, other than like February, where it's just like the sun never comes out and we're just depressed. <laughs> but we feel good now about like just being outside all year round. But this weather, back to October, uh, or at least the weather we're hoping exists by the time this episode releases, this is the perfect moment. Do you like spring better than fall? Fall is my favorite. It's got the colors. It's got the like, and again, I just feel like you appreciate the cold because you just came from you know, hot and sweaty. Yep. I think I still also just very much associate it with renewal because mm-hmm. like my head can't get out of, I mean, I've got kids in school, so I was going to sure. say it's not just that I went back to school in the fall, it's that now I've got kids going back to school in the fall. And it feels like one of those seasons that's always going to be about newness to me. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. I find myself looking forward to like the trappings of fall, like the warm apple cider, the bonfires. I have these really fond memories of being at high school bonfires for pep rallies around homecoming. I don't have like positive memories of those experiences. Like I was a jock (laughs) or something. I wasn't part of the football team. But for some reason, I just associate that with fall and I like fall so much. So now I look forward to the bonfires and getting together with lots of people and, and apparently watching high school football, which I don't think I've ever done. But, you know, the, the driving around, looking at leaves, being in my hammock in the backyard and tracking the tree above me, starting to turn color progressively, watching our now our patio get covered with different color leaves. It's so wonderful. It's all so magical. I was going to say that I associate it with football season too, but it's funny because I do, but I don't watch football anymore. Yeah, same. It was like <laughs> in high school, it was a big deal because you had a football team. Same thing in college. Mm. But since leaving college, I've here and there followed football for various seasons, but now definitely don't associate it really with football anymore, which is weird. Yeah, I still associate with football, even though I don't watch football. I stopped playing fantasy football a few years ago because it just was sucking up too much of my life. And it's been a relief to no longer have that. But for years, I was heavily invested in fantasy football, but I still associate with football. I don't know. I don't care about football even a little bit. But for some reason, I see those things happening around town and I feel like, oh, it's fall. Yeah, there's something very Americana about it, right? Yeah, I think there's something nostalgic about it, even if you don't care about the sport. And that does feel like a uniquely American thing. Now, before we jump into music, are you a pumpkin spice latte guy or a pumpkin spice anything guy? I am not a pumpkin spice anything. I think I am, if anything, an anti-pumpkin spice. No, you know what? When it was just the drink, I was okay with it. I was like, okay, people like their things. Don't want to yuck anyone's yum. That's what we say in the Gardner household. Yep. But pumpkin spice everything? Give me a break. This is getting, it's getting <laughs> wild out there. I'm into it. I like it. I like uh, Do you? pumpkin spice bagels, pumpkin spice donuts. Like you legitimately like the taste of pumpkin spice everything. 
I don't know if I like the taste or not because it's just one of those things where I associate it with fall and I just like fall. So when I start tasting those tastes, it makes me feel warm and cozy. I had actually never had but, a pumpkin spice latte until a but, couple but, weeks but, ago. But you're telling me when pumpkin spice lattes come out in like mid-July or whatever they're coming out now, you're like, yes, give me that. So again, I don't drink coffee. I had my very, literally my very first pumpkin spice latte like three or four weeks ago in my life. Not like for the season, but for the first time in my life. Because I was at a coffee shop because I had to get some work done and I was stranded in Chicago for one reason or another. And I thought, well, I'll try one. Let's see what the fuss is about. And it was good. Like, I thought it was like, this is nice. It's warm. It's cozy. It tastes like fall. I don't care about that. So, you know, I think pumpkin spice latte is the only thing that actually happens in June or July. Like everything else actually waits until September, October to uh, become pumpkin spice. It spicy. feels a little Black Friday where it's like creeping into like Black Friday sales now start in like August. It's kind of like That's that. Fair. It just like keeps keeps creeping back, back, back. That's fair. Christmas season, you know, it's the same thing. It's like they find a good thing and then we just run it into the ground. Hey, this is a music podcast. Let's talk about music. <laughs> Let's do that. Fall, I think, elevates music for me more than any other season. Probably again, because I just love fall. But there are albums that I enjoy listening to year round. And then when it comes to September or October, I get so excited to listen to them in this specific situated place and time uh, where the, the air is a little crisper. Suddenly the music sounds even better. And I've been trying to figure out like what I have a list here of like 30 albums that I thought about doing today. And I was trying to figure out like what they all have in common. Do you experience that same thing where fall elevates music for you? For sure. Yeah. Specific kind of music. I mean, we can talk about this when we get into our picks, but like a something relaxing, something kind of folksy, something that can be with a hot drink next to you maybe around a fire outdoors. Yeah. I think that it's like you're coming back down into a season that is like more relaxing. You've been really busy over the summer, been doing lots of things, been outdoors. Now it's time to cozy around the fire a little bit and, and start mm -hmm. getting a little warmer and a little bit more relaxing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, I take that experience with me, like if I want to walk or if I'm driving around. There's something about like driving around, looking at the leaves changing and, and playing some of this music. Like I'll just pull one off my list really quick. If I put on like any Big Thief album and I'm driving around looking ah, at nice. driving around looking at leaves, the leaves look prettier and Big Thief sounds better. It's all working together to create this enhanced Ooh. sensory experience for me. It's like when you have a good meal. And it's like the, all the aesthetics are right. Like it looks good. The music playing in the background is good. The, yeah. the whole, you know, it's not just about the taste, right? It's about all of it. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think for me that when I look through this list, I'm not going to actually go through every one of these albums, but I look through some of these like James Blake's Overgrown, essentially any Cure album, Casey <laughs> Musgrave's Golden Hour, some of the Slow Dive records. The early 2000s were a really good time for this type of music, like Feist, and Arcade Fire and Low For and sure. the Constantines, Florence and the Machine, people like that, who they all kind of make similar indie rock music that that feels like it's elevated by fall. I think of some of the Low albums, some of the Elliott Smith albums. Thought about Low and Slow Dive and some of the shoegazy stuff as yeah. something that you would have on your list. Yes. So I guess for me, the thing that I found that these things all have in common is they're all cozy. Like they feel like cozy albums. But are they cozy? This is kind of what I wanted to get at. Are they cozy because they're cozy to you or, do, or are they cozy because 
there this music is cozy to you and fall is cozy to you so like the two cozy things belong together do you know what i mean does it feel cozy all year round and it's just like now i'm in a cozy season and so this is the season for this kind of cozy music or is there something essential essentially fall about it i think i I, the question i was asking myself was is it cozy because i've lived with it for you know 20 years 10 years 15 years or is it cozy because it's inherently cozy Right. Those two questions go hand in hand with what you're saying. And I guess when I think about music that sounds cozy, you know, obviously I think about acoustic guitars. I I think about kind of droney sounds, like anything that is not droney, like annoying, (laughs) but like droney, like they stick with one level of of volume and stick with one sustained note uh, for a long time and kind of live on this kind of one or two different chords. I think because I can fall into that music, I can sink. Does that make sense? Like I can sink into it a little bit. And just relax. And I think that there's something different about like relaxing music. I think there's a lot of music that I would call relaxing that I wouldn't necessarily call cozy. Yeah. And so there's something about the warmth of the guitars. These are very warm tones. All these albums are are something I would associate with romance and deeply felt emotions. But there's also this piece of, it's true that I've just been listening to these records for you know 20 years in the fall. When I think about the thing I'm going to choose today, one of the reasons that it became yeah. my fall album is because everybody said this was the quintessential fall album. Uh, and I listened to it in the fall and thought, yes, this is the quintessential fall album. That seems like a self-reinforcing it does, <laughs> feedback loop. <laughs> but maybe they're right. So my pick is Yola Tango's I Can Hear the Heart Beating as One. not a massively commercially successful album, but I think most people who care about music know Yola Tango on some level and probably have heard this record at some point. Yola Tango is this indie rock band who actually started in like the mid 80s, which seems crazy to me. They feel like a band that kind of existed in the 2000s for me before. I didn't really know them in the 90s, even though this album was 97. Yeah, they feel like in that same era you were just talking about, like early 2000s indie rock. That's kind of what I associate them with. And I think they were kind of a precursor because, so this album, I Can Hear the Heart Beating is one, comes out in 97, but I didn't hear it until I was listening to things like Spoon and Arcade Fire in like kind of that mid-2000s time warp uh, where where all this amazing indie rock was happening. And I think I've just come to understand that these guys were critically adored and adored by by fans, kind of the same way like the Velvet Underground was, where they weren't hugely commercially Mm -hmm. successful, but people who made music really appreciated them and loved what they were doing. And Velvet Underground is going to come into play here in a minute in a really major way. But they're this indie rock band, these three musicians, Ira Kaplan, Georgia Hubley, and James McNew. And they are uh, just making this really interesting. They, they don't have one sound. I mean, it's all kind of electric guitar based, uh, except when it isn't. Um, but they are <laughs> album to album, uh, just following their muse and, pulling together lots of different ideas and influences and pulling them into one new thing. So this album to me feels timeless. Like it doesn't have that same nineties nostalgia that other albums that came out in 97 have for me. It feels timeless, maybe similar to like a neutral milk hotel or something that I was came out in the nineties, but I don't associate necessarily with the nineties. And it's just this pastiche of a lot of different influences. There's so much Lou Reed. I think of uh, songs like damage or shadows. so much velvet underground and and i for me velvet underground when i think about like pale blue eyes or, or anything on their album with nico 
These are just quintessential fall feeling songs. They're, they feel like you put on a jacket and you walk down New York while the leaves are changing. Linger on your pale blue eyes. That's how I've always mm. felt. Velvet Underground, even when they're getting loud or, or droney, like with heroin, I, I always felt like this is still cozy music in the sense of these guys are, are just earnestly letting themselves sink into this music. And so there's, there's shoegaze in here, like deeper into movies. There's this kind of driving rock, like sugar cube. There's Beach Boys covers, there's country western songs, there's twee pop, there's a lot of like yeah. Bell and Sebastian influence here. There's trip hop, there's crap yeah. rock, there's bossa nova. There's like a sound a song that sounds like and it could have come off of like the Stan Getz and Joao Gilberto album that had Go from Nipa Neba on it. And then, of course, <laughs> there's this one song called Autumn Sweater. And Autumn Sweater is the quintessential fall song. And to me, it sounds like fall. <laughs> and I don't know if that's because it's called Autumn Sweater. I'm trying to decide if that song was called Winter <laughs> Scarf, would I still experience it as this song sounds like fall? Because when I hear that song, I just, it sounds like sipping warm apple cider and it sounds like looking at leaves and it sounds like this kind of warm, cozy bundle up outside and, and enjoy a really nice conversation deep into the night. It's this, there's no guitars in this one. It's just keyboard and the other two people playing different drums. And it's this driving, almost electronically inspired song that is just moving forward slowly. And then occasionally there's this bass line that comes in that he's playing on the synthesizer as well. The lyrics aren't necessarily about fall. He's just describing the sweater somebody's wearing as her sweater that she wears in autumn. That's the, there's nothing else about this song that is about like sipping warm apple cider. It's just like a love song or kind of a forlorn love song. they could have written about that subject matter and not made it sound quote unquote fall like could you have made like a summer jam about an autumn sweater do you know what i mean well like, interestingly you know listening to um to our friend sydney talk about folklore and cardigan as a as a winter album like i kind of listened to that album as a fall album like i, I listened to it with the guitars same. and the you know the bonavere and, and national influences and it's it sounded like a fall album and she said it sounded like a winter album to her and so maybe, Interesting. maybe there's something about this song that isn't autumn, but I, for me, it feels like autumn and it has felt like autumn for going on 20 years now. So it's the first thing I reach for, like the first crisp fall day, I play this album in full and oftentimes I just play it throughout the fall, like over and over and over again. This is one of those records that January through August, I barely play at all. And then September through November, I have it on repeat. Do you feel like there's something inherently fallish yeah. about this one? Or do you feel like I've just lumped it in with fall? Similar to you, when you chose this album, I was thinking, oh, because of Autumn Sweater. Sure. Obviously. And I think what's tough about this being a fall album for me is it's so eclectic. Mm -hmm. 
to your point about like all the different sounds that are thrown into the whole album, it almost feels like a love letter to all their musical influences, but like individually. It's a great album, but it's also very, I don't want to say all over the place, more like eclectic, although I already said that. This is great podcasting. That's something, that's a Davism. I'm going to adopt that. (laughs) There's some albums that I was thinking of, for better or for worse, I don't always love albums that do this, but really have like a central sound. Yeah. Every, even folklore that we were just talking about, it's okay, we get, this is the sound of this album. A lot of the national albums we were talking about, it's like, okay, they've got a sound. I think one of my critiques of the national is they've driven that sound a little bit into the ground now. (laughs) Okay, we've got your sound. But this one, I don't think goes for that kind of vibe, right? Like, we're really trying some different things. I think what I struggle with is, is fall the season in which we try different things or is fall the season we settle into a groove. And it's funny because it, to me, it feels like a season we settle into a groove. But I was also talking about it being a season of newness and novelty and like starting over. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe fall, maybe our answer, especially with Sydney thinking like something sound more like winter and us saying, oh, they sound more like fall is that. Fall is on a spectrum, Dave. Fall isn't just one thing, right? It's a plethora of sounds and feelings. I want to dive a little bit deeper into this idea before we move on, because your pick actually is in conversation with this conversation, so I want to get to it soon. But I I do think that there's something about Yola Tango that feels like Fall to me, even when they're in all their different styles. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. No album can have all those things that I listed Beach Boys covers and Guided by Voices type songs and Driving Rock and Trip Hop. Like it can't all be in there and not feel eclectic and and kind of all over the place. However, the thing that pulls it all together is Ira Kaplan's voice and and Georgia's voice. And there's nothing about any individual member of the band that is drawing attention to itself. They're all Uh, like just really chill, relaxed. Like you hear them feeling relaxed in their music. Even when they're playing like rockin' songs, it doesn't feel like this would get an arena going. It's like this would get a nice, fun homecoming bonfire going. I think driving around listening to Sugar Cube, and I imagine driving around looking at leaves because I, I imagine driving around in a car, but I'm not driving like 100 miles an hour, even though that's a fast-paced song. I'm just having a leisurely, nice drive with my family <laughs> where we're like taking in <laughs> the smells and sights of autumn. Maybe eating like a pumpkin spice donut or an apple cider donut from some apple orchard after our millionth apple picking trip. And so I think that there's something about this band that is cozy. And I, I don't 100% know, like, I, again, great podcasting. I don't know if I can put into words what quality they have that sets them into that different space. Even thinking about a band like Spoon, his voice is like, it's singular. He, he's not the most talented singer but he's like really going for it on his songs. And so the spoon songs can sometimes take on a quality that doesn't completely situate and fall because his voice is catapulting it into something a little more in your face. Whereas these guys are just, you know, very shoegazy. It's all buried in the mix. And I think for me, again, I've just, I've listened to this record so many times in the fall that it all now feels like fall. And I guess my invitation would be for other people to do that too, because when I'm sitting around by my fire, and I put this album on, I like that it's constantly shifting and morphing a little bit because it keeps things moving. I sometimes can find myself when I put on an album like Casey Musgraves' Golden Hour and this beautiful, lovely country Western music. After an hour, I'm like, okay, come on, <laughs> like let's, let's have something different. I'm ready for some new music. And if I just had a playlist, right. you know, you could easily make a playlist of 12 albums that sound like you could put on every Angel Olsen record. You could put on essentially any Big Thief album, and it would all sound like it all belonged on the same playlist. 
but I would get bored. And so I think there's something about the fall where I'm not bored. The crisp fall air is exciting. Like it's invigorating. And I find Yola yeah, Tango invigorating and, and not just quiet or, or lovely, but I find them invigorating. And I, I think that's a fall thing that, that we don't think about it much is like the crisp air makes you like want to go outside and talk to people and hang out. And so that's a, that's a piece of this that I like, I like in this music. I hadn't thought about that way, especially in that my pick is mellow. And I don't know that I would call it invigorating, although though I guess it's got some invigorating parts. But yeah, that's an interesting, like if you think about it, almost like going back to the football analogy, like associate fall with tailgating. That's a very different kind of music that you're putting on instead of like sitting around with your hot drink in the brisk cold in the morning. Let's talk about your album, because I think I think we can pick up this conversation uh, in, in the midst of that record, too. Yeah, my pick for this topic was For Emma Forever Ago by Bon Iver. And I should say that when this came out, this was a great opportunity to learn how to pronounce Bon Iver. <laughs> and if you have never actually said that out loud... <laughs> It took me a long time to realize it was Bon Iver and not Bon Iver, <laughs> which was the way I bastardized it for a little bit before I heard someone else, I think, probably you honestly say it out loud, <laughs> because it, it's actually the French for good winter. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't think Iver is actually spelled that way in French, but anyway, but at least pronounced wise, that is. Real quick, Yola Tengo is Spanish for I've got it. There you go. Oh, that's weird. I didn't even realize that we cho chose two bands that actually have two different languages in their names. Although, um, I, don't, I don't think that Justin Vernon's got a lot of French. I, actually, I don't know. Maybe he's got some French in his, his history, but... Yeah, I don't think any of you La Tango do either. Yeah. Yeah, say, yeah, they're from like New Jersey. Yeah, they are from New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> All right, keep going, keep going. I'm going to stop interrupting. Um, I love the story behind this album. If you, if you don't know about this, like Justin Vernon was on a journey. He had been in Raleigh, North Carolina, playing with the band he, in November 2006. Let's go through this story in the timeline. He drove 18 hours back to where he grew up in northwestern Wisconsin, so just north of us. Went to his parents' place first, but actually kept driving to a remote hunting cabin his father had built in 1979 and stayed out in the wilderness for a few months, living off the land, actually hunting, just being isolated, getting back to his roots. And then he started making music in this cabin in the woods. And when he emerged in February 2007, he had nine songs over 37 minutes, none of which he originally intended for people to hear, or at least not in great numbers. And he had a new band name, Bonnie Bear, French for Good Winter. And that was what he expected it to be, like passing it among some friends and family, and that was it. And if you listen to For Emma Forever Ago, it has this very intimate feel, like you feel like you're just, you feel like you are in a remote cabin in the woods just listening to a guy make music. Like, it it sounds exactly like that. So when you, when you hear the story, you're like, yeah, that sounds right. Because this is not a big studio album. This is not a... This is not an anthem rock. This is as intimate as it gets when it comes to music making. I maybe don't think of it like any other album as being as intimate as this. It's wild. It's got 
of course, inherent in the title, it's got romanticism, right? Like it is definitely deeply romantic, but it also has this like haunting mystical quality to it. It's like when you are first introduced to Bon Iver's voice, just Dustin Vernon's voice, you are like, what is he, e what is his voice even doing? Like you're, it's got this like, I don't know if you would call it like a falsetto, but it's at least this, this pitch that seems again, superhuman or mystical that you can't really associate with anyone else. And I remember just being haunted in a good way by this the first time I heard it. And it just feeling like you were in on something that almost you weren't supposed to be in on. You're, he's like pouring his heart out to you in a way that, again, just feels like, am I supposed to be hearing him like pour, like wail about being blindsided, for example? It's got this like lyrical gems in it. Like the lyrics for For Emma, which is a song on For Emma Forever Ago. You always wonder, the one, the one part of this story for this album I don't know is if Emma is the real name. Like artists will do this thing and they obscure the name so you don't know who it's actually about. But man, Emma, you messed my boy Justin up. So the lyrics for Emma have this great, these great lines like so apropos saw death on a sunny snow for every life forego the parable but you get the artistry of justin vernon in this album in a way that previews i think a lot more of an expansive artistry in, in albums after this and we can talk about the bonavera catalog as it stands right now but this one is so much more intimate and so much more, I think, just getting to know him and his voice and his lyricism before you get to that big kind of artistry and like expansive sounds of albums that come after this that I think I still probably reach for this one and have affection for this one more so than the other Bon Iver albums. But that's where I'd like to hear it. Where does this sit for you in terms of the Bon Iver catalog and your relationship with this album? I first heard, you know, along with everybody, I first heard this when it, when it was released and, and was floored by it. I, I think that at the time, I also hadn't heard anything quite this intimate. I didn't necessarily know the story when I first heard it. It felt like somebody just recorded it in their cabin, like on a little hate track player or something like that. Like It right? didn't feel like a big studio album. It felt like, you know, what I imagined it would feel like if really good musicians got together in a cabin in the woods around a fire and plucked out some songs for a night and i thought that it was so beautiful there was so much romance in the songs it was used in a couple tv shows that i i liked at the time to like heighten yeah. a romantic scene and so for years i this was like one of my go-to records for the fall who justin vernon has become as an artist and who the bon Iver band has become over time has eclipsed this album for me and listening to their self-titled, which is probably still my favorite thing he's put out, but even II or or Twenty Two Million, those records are so full of of these ideas. But they're these really interesting, fun ideas. But they're also they retain that warmth that Forever Forever Ago has. And I find myself just preferring to listen to those records now. Like I list, I put on Forever Forever Ago, and it feels too stripped down and too stark and and too like. Almost like they're made by different people, right? Like it's so starkly different. Yeah, like it's hard to believe this guy, obviously his voice is his voice. I think he kind of has three levels. He has this tenor, 
normal singing voice. And then he has when he's just wide open singing as high as he can without going into falsetto. And then he has what's clearly a falsetto. And he layers those three voices on top of each other. And, and he's doing interesting things on Forever Forever ago. But yeah, sometimes I, I go back and I think, this doesn't sound like a Bon Iver record. Or do the other ones not sound like a Bon Iver? Who is the true Bon yeah, <laughs> I think I've often wondered that. I At this point, I'm, I'm so deep into his catalog that it's the original one that feels like the outlier because it's missing all of the like studio accoutrement that I yeah. associate with his later work. This one sounds lo-fi. And the first time mm-hmm. you hear it, you're like, oh, that's a really cool lo-fi effect that they're doing. And then you read the backstory and you're like, no, this is actually just genuinely just lo-fi. lo-fi. <laughs> I remember playing this for my wife when it first came out and she thought it was like too sad. But then a year later I had it on. She's like, this is so beautiful. So I do think there's kind of a melancholy in his voice and a longing that of course I'm drawn to. This is very moving music. Like he's a very moving singer and performer and um, it's very earnest. Like it, it, it does that thing that a lot of the early 2000s music did as a reaction to 90s music, which was be super earnest and yeah. not detached from their music at all. If folk went emo. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But I will say I never listened to this except for the fall and then I pull it out because it's such a great album to have on. Yeah, uh, that, the fall. that's why it's the quintessential fall album to me. I, this is, I read this on Apple Music and I just have to repeat it because it talks about it how regionally specific this this music feels and this is such a great line it says the moment you hit play everything around you goes still and the temperature seems to drop no matter where you are (laughs) i like that having spent some time in in wisconsin in cabins in the woods i picture him looking out at, at a at a forest that is mostly lost its leaves you know kind of barren but it's still that time of autumn where it's nice enough to be outside. It hasn't quite gotten too cold, uh, but he's definitely like covered in flannel. He's got a little homemade fire going at a fire yep. pit. I wonder, do you think when people hear this now for the first time, is this still the Bon Iver record that people begin with? Is this like the most popular one or has other stuff eclipsed it? That's a good question. I don't, to our point about it just being like two different artists. Yeah, I don't know that I would use this as an entry point to Bon Iver. Like, I feel like this yeah. doesn't give you a sense of who the artist is anymore. It feels like a B-side album almost. Do you know what I mean? To like their their catalog. Yeah, or if they did a one-off acoustic record, which is essentially right. what it is. It just came at the beginning. Yeah, but yeah. even the lyricism here is much more... I don't know if you'd agree with this. I feel like he's still much more storytelling and the catharsis in this album in terms of what he's gone through is so stark. Whereas the other ones feel more like pure artistic, both in terms of sound and in terms of lyricism, Mm -hmm. that he is just exploring the universe in a way that honestly, I sometimes it's hard for me to follow, but this is not hard. Like you cannot not empathize with this record. I think. It reminds me a little bit of what Sufjan did. Obviously, it's a much larger precursor, but he had like several albums that were easily accessible and, and really beautiful. And, and of course, there's lots of different orchestration and instrumentation in Illinois and, and albums like that. So right. to lump those together with Seven Swans or whatever is, is tricky. But there's definitely like a clear demarcation in his catalog where he begins to go off the rails in a good way for me, you know, of exploring kind of the limits of a studio and the limits of, of what yeah. what kind of sounds he can create. 
And I experienced that with Bon Iver, although it feels more like a unit creating those sounds together. I sometimes listen to Bon Iver and it reminds me a little bit of, this is going to be sacrilegious, I'm sure. But <laughs> back in the 90s, when we still like liked Dave Matthews Band. When we collectively still yeah, liked Yeah, we collectively Dave as a country Band. still liked them earnestly, not just as like, a, okay, <laughs> I get it, Dave Matthews. When you would listen to like those four hour sprawling live concerts where they're just jamming and improvising. I think a lot of the Bon Iver albums since For I'm a Forever Ago feel like a bunch of really talented musicians getting together and jamming and, and finding the songs. But then there's so much studio trickeries to derogatory, but there's so much electronic and other influences yeah. coming in that it's obviously not just just a band creating it on the spot in the moment, but it feels right. like this big flowing. I can feel why they can fill arenas you know, listening to their last several records. Yeah, they f- the music feels bigger. It, it feels bigger. It feels more expansive. It feels more atmospheric. It almost feels like after this, hmm. he becomes like, I don't know, Picasso in his blue period or, you know, the style completely changes. He becomes more like a Jackson Pollock of indie folk rock where it's, oh, we're going to just paint all over the canvas right now. Whereas For Emma Forever Go, again, just feels tighter, more storytelling, more intimate, more more cathartic, and more empathetic, I think, in some ways. In that Jackson Pollock, you walk into it, and sometimes people are like, I don't get it. And yeah. you don't feel like that with this record. I will say, though, I, I have this question back to our earlier conversation of when I listen to Forever Forever Go, and it's not a long album, I can certainly play it in the background all the way through and appreciate no, it. No, it's, it's but pretty short. But I, I do find after a while, I'm like, okay, like I'm ready to, I'm ready, not necessarily for different artists. I just want something different in the music. Like these songs used mm. to sound very separate to me and they each had their own distinct personality. And now they bleed together a little bit more than they used to. And I, I don't know if that's just familiarity that's or if it's just that his catalog has expanded so much and I'm bringing that baggage into my listening to it now. But I do find myself about halfway through and, and actually the second half of this album has some of my favorite things on it. Creature Fear and Restacks are two of my favorite songs on the record. This but I find myself ready to skip ahead. But again, just to more Bone of Air, like to the self-titled ah. record or something like that. Do you ever experience that? Does this album still feel like unique and special for you? No, I don't experience that because it's just such a tight record, 37 minutes total. But I don't. The only way I can explain it is that Bonavere after this and Bonavere, there is no Bonavere before it, but Bonavere, even of the next record, which is a self titled album, just feels like two completely different artists. You know we won't be I remember putting on Bon Iver, the album in 2011. And I was so excited to hear it because of how much I loved For Emma Forever Ago. And I was like, this is so different. Yeah. And, did you, and I was, immediately was in love with that album, though, like the, the self-titled. Did you love it or did you not? Were you turned off by it at first? I, it took me a while to get into it. I'm, I'll be honest. Like it was so different and it was so more experimental. And it still had some of the, obviously, still Justin Vernon's voice. It still had still pretty acoustic in places, still haunting, but just so different in terms of what musically we were exploring. And I was expecting more of kind of forever, forever ago. And yeah, it took me a while to get into it. But once I did, obviously, I fell in love with it. And then it probably, to your point, like superseded 
um, what I go back to more than Forever Forever Ago now. But it just felt like two different artists to me. Like in my mind, they are just completely different types of music I want to reach for, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting watching him splinter off too into like Volcano Choir and Big Red Machine. Yeah. Those feel like they they picked up the thread more of Forever Forever Ago than the other Bon Iver albums to me. Uh, and so I, I'd be interested in throwing those on in a, in a, in a playlist and seeing if they, how they fit together. I've never actually done that. That'd be, that'd be fun to try. Uh, it's interesting. So yeah, this is certainly like the fall album. <laughs> like when you, I was really struggling to decide which album to choose today. And when you said you were choosing this one, I thought, okay, I'm going to go in a different direction and choose something that is, um, maybe more lively yeah. because there's a lot of other albums like this that are like quiet acoustic records that also sound really good in the fall. And this one sounds the most good. <laughs> like <laughs> Forever Forever Go just sounds like, I mean, it literally sounds like you're sitting at a cabin in the woods in yeah. the fall drinking Which, warm apple cider. to Cindy's point, I don't know that it doesn't make it a winter album. It feels like things are getting colder. Maybe that's why it's like that that reviewer that I read that said like you put this on and immediately like the temperature drops 10 degrees. Maybe yeah. that's maybe you're on a journey of it getting colder and that's why it feels more fall. This is there is a quality to this record that is you're stuck inside, not you know, not <laughs> exactly. You, you, you might want to go inside to get warm. Yeah, isn't the album <laughs> cover literally like a frosted over window? So, maybe we're wrong, maybe it's more winter, but there's definitely something about it getting colder that that is essential to this album. I just find it really funny that like how much this from this guy who just was hanging out in the cabin and recorded these things (laughs) for his friends to like a few years later doing songs with Kanye West and being parodied on SNL wild to me. And and I think it is does speak a little bit to the distinctiveness of his voice a lot. We've talked a lot about voice and how it like leads us to either love or hate (laughs) very strongly different artists. And I think, Bon Iver is definitely one of those you either love it or you hate it a lot driven by his voice but also the lyricism and the kind of romanticism and artistry of the music and so you know you gotta yeah. you gotta feel like you made it when Justin Timberlake's making fun of you on SNL <laughs> that's right Justin Timberlake recorded a whole album was that after this or before this the man in the woods album that was after this yeah okay. yeah there you yeah. have Good on you, Justin Timberlake. Hey, so real quick canon talk. Yolotenko's album is, it's in my canon in the sense of from September to November, it is my canon. <laughs> album I reach for the most. But it also, I would put it in my complete canon as well. I, I This is an album that means a lot to me. And every year I find more and more things to love about it. And some of the, there are a couple songs on it that go a little bit off the deep end. One of them's called Speck Bebop. That's a tough one to sit around a fire and. So you, I was saying off the deep end in one. terms of like, oh, this is, now I can't follow this anymore. It gets a little psychedelic and, and trippy. Nice. But I even love those songs now. So, you know, this is clearly in my canon. I'm assuming, do you love this record? Is this in your canon somewhere or not? Yola Tango? Yeah. Not in my canon. I do enjoy the record. I don't think it's one that I reach for as much as you reach for it, though. Yeah, sure. How about Forever yeah. Forever Go? I think so. I was debating about that because it's like some of the other Bon Iver records I probably love more now, but I don't think I reach for them as much now or even mm-hmm. when they came out as much as I originally reached for Forema Forever Ago when it came out. Does that make yeah, sense? I think so. I had a very different experience with the self-titled, it sounds but yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I definitely, when, it came, when self-titled came out, I listened to it a lot, but it hasn't had the staying power. But honestly, Forever Forever Go, I don't think necessarily has a staying power other than the times of year we're talking about where it's <laughs> right. like the time. So I don't know. 
maybe Forever Forever Go is like Bon Iver's Christmas album for fall, where it's <laughs> I don't put it on the rest of the year, but this is the time that you put it on. And none of the other records have that seasonality to me. Okay, so this is a whole new thing that we should do. We should create a Hall of Fame <laughs> of just the fall record, like the fall canon at some point, because I love that idea of this is, I love that idea of this is like a Christmas record for fall. That's perfect. <laughs> of course, you just listen to this for one month out of the year and you can't wait to hear it in that month. And then once that season's over, you're like, okay, see you later. Yep, <laughs> see you later yep. forever, forever go. Exactly. I love that idea. There's so many albums like that. <laughs> is Mariah Carey's Christmas album her best album? No, but are you going to put it on every December? Yep, probably. Yeah, it's certainly the one I listen to the most just by yep. default because I yep. don't listen to the other ones every year. <laughs> Man, That's she has fun. made so much money from yeah, that one sure song on that album. It's crazy. Honorable mentions, I have three. I have obviously 30, but I have three I want to name. <laughs> Nico Case's Blacklisted and Angel Olsen's mm. Burn Your Fire for No Witness uh, oh, are Nico both Case, like such a great quiet. choice quiet kind of country western but in a good way album like all country albums that are sound so good in the fall and also her album fox confessor brings the flood both that and blacklisted are great angel olsen all of her records sound so good in the fall and year round but burn your fire for no witness i think for that same bone of air quality of it's kind of her most not her most she had albums before this but it's the album to me that feels the most like raw and intimate and charged and like you're right there in the room with her and there's mm. a couple of songs on that album that sound like you're just sitting around a campfire with her strumming at her guitar. And the last one, I wanted to name, uh, because I don't think many people have heard it, it's called Bright Black Morning Light. Do you know this album at all? Uh, I, that, that sounds familiar. Why would I know that? It's a really wonderful album to play in the fall. I mean, it's just kind of a like trippy little, um, I guess psychedelic tinge, but it's just a, a nice little comfy, cozy record. Like It fits into that. Kind of the songs on Yola Tango's album on I Can Hear Their Heart Beating is one that are maybe a little more droney or maybe a little instrumental and just driving and moving rhythmically, but they're still chill. That's like this whole album is chill songs that are still driving and moving. And I should probably name the Nationals Boxer as another quintessential fall. It sounds really good in the fall. Alligator does yeah. too. High Violet does too. You know, those are those albums. The National sound definitely really is good. one of those bands that feels like fall. Yeah. Their sound just feels very fallish. In a way that I usually like. Yep. How about uh, how about for you, honorable mentions? Yeah. So I was thinking Fleet Foxes, oh. especially their self-titled album. Just a great. I mean, I, I, there is something folksy about the fall to me, mm -hmm. and Fleet Foxes is a fantastic band. Uh, their self-titled album came out in two thousand eight. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, this is so dumb, but for the same reason why, oh, Autumn Sweater, of course, in the fall. White Winter Hymnal made me think, oh, no, this must be more of a winter album. So I actually <laughs> think that fits here. I think that White Winter Hymnal sounds better in the fall than in the winter, which is an interesting, interesting yeah. thing. Interesting. That's fascinating. Um, regardless, again, if we think of fall on a spectrum of it's getting colder, Fleet Foxes is a great band for that. I did similarly in terms of the folksy. For some reason, I was thinking of the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack. Did, oh, sure. did you spend much time with that? No, not really. I mean, I, I certainly enjoyed the movie and, and understood why everybody got caught up in that moment. But it feels a little bit like swing music in the 90s, where just all of a sudden everybody was into Americana bluegrass <laughs> I love that. <laughs> for six months, and then we all forgot about it. So swing, Americana bluegrass, Dave Matthews, they all had their moment, and they, <laughs> they came moment. and went. And... Well, Dave Matthews did not come and go. He still fills arenas. Yeah. 
Wild. I, I don't know that anybody's still listening to. Do you remember? Do you remember the time where everybody was into like Irish dance music or like Gregorian uh, chant music? Yes, There's just like yeah. these moments There's, in history. It's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. Dave Matthews feels like Grateful Dead to me. In, in that, like people will absolutely follow him into their grave, similar they did Grateful Dead. Feist, you mentioned this earlier, but the album Metals, I thought of mm, for metals. this. Okay. Yeah, Feist is also one of those. Oh, we're just going to lean into the fall winter <laughs> right. sound. So you could pick almost any album, but like the <laughs> Metals specifically has this song on it called Undiscovered First. Do you know what? Do you know this song? I only and, because you have name checked it before in my presence. So I'm have I? Yeah. This song haunts me and I have it on, I think. <laughs> many playlists for various things you know you create kind of playlists around specific <laughs> moods or around specific moments yep. of time this song has come with me on lots of, di- of those different playlists and so it it's one that i continue to go back to and it's just got this amazing driving folksy sound and it's got this incredible build mm-hmm. and it's the, even the themes are about like mountains and rivers it's just yeah. It, yeah, I just couldn't think of not think of Feist and, and that song in particular. Anyway, so those are some honorable mentions on me for me. Cool. What are you listening to this week? A uh, few things, Dave. The British band Jockstrap is about to come out with a new album. And so I've gone back and started listening to their 2022 album. I love you, Jennifer B. It's so good. I don't know. If, did you spend much time with this when it came out? No. They're, do you know Jockstrap? A little just like the weirdest band name with the weirdest like album cover that's so simple and they're like weird fusion of like punk and pop and club it's just yeah i think you would like it i i went back revisiting this in anticipation of their new album and still really love it it's great I've also been listening to a new band or a new album from the band Slow Pulp called Yard. They're a Chicago-based album with a great alternative sound I would definitely check out. And then the last thing I'll give a shout out to, What Is My Capacity to Love by the band Thanks For Coming? It's a lovely little EP by Rachel Brown. She's one of the singers of the band Water From Your Eyes. It also came out with a, an album this year, but this is her one of her side projects. And it's actually very good. And I think a little bit more accessible than the album mm. from Water From Your Eyes, Dave. So if you're not, if you weren't into the kind of, I think you called it a little, what was it? A little too, what did you say about this album? A little too atonal? Uh, yes, I remember this. This one is not as atonal. So definitely check out Thanks for Coming. What is my capacity to love? Stuck in a loop with you, it's all... Nice. I've been on my annual Radiohead kick, so I've been just listening to Radiohead pretty nonstop. But I did take a moment, a quick, a quick break, to listen to a new album from Cleo Soul. Cleo Soul is a kind of R&B soul singer from Britain who sounds a little bit like Erica Badu. The music sounds a little bit like Erica Badu. She nice. is probably the lead singer of, or one of the lead singers of the band Salt. Do you know Did the you band Salt? Probably. Yeah. Do you know the band Salt? No. So Salt is this very mysterious group that 
kind of arose during the George Floyd protests. They made a bunch of like three records that all foregrounded black issues. And it seems like people have sussed out that they're probably related to a bunch of soul artists in, in England, but nobody actually knows who makes any of that music. There's no press, there's no, there's no videos, there's no interviews, there's no concerts. They just anonymously put out these records as this band called Salt. They've been super prolific. They made like three records in the like 2020, 2021 time. And, and I think maybe it was last year, maybe the year before, they put out five records in a day. And wow. I just tossed them all on their website for people to download. And they're all as awesome. one does. They're all really good. And it's surprising how good every one of them is. So what she is kind probably of music? Uh, like uh, R&B, funk, disco, soul uh, music. All right. All right. And she is probably one of the singers in that band. It's almost positive <laughs> that she is. Her name is Cleo Soul. She's actually put out two records this year. So also being very prolific. And they are these jazzy, hip hop, tinged R&B soul records. They are both tremendously beautiful and nice to put on in the background. I highly recommend it. Cleo Soul. The albums are Heaven and Gold. Go, baby, go, baby, go, baby. Oh, thank God for kissing you. Awesome. And now I'm going to go back to listen to Radiohead for like another two weeks. <laughs> okay, we got to ask, is there a fall Radiohead album for yeah, you? Yeah, a moon-shaped pool. A moon-shaped yeah, pool is the most. I knew you were going to have one. Yeah, I mean, that that's the one that has like present tense and the numbers. Like the one where it sounds like he's just plucking a guitar by the fire. That's all of those. All of those songs are on a moon-shaped pool. By the time this episode comes out, it'll be even sooner. But we right now have 10 weeks before the like Spotify wrapped Apple Music like end of the year stuff only comes 10 out. weeks wow yeah, so if because it comes out in the beginning of december so if you want to sneak something in like really go heavy on uh, an album or an artist so that they get into your spot yeah. wrapped uh, now now's the time. the time of year where i get stressed out about the things that i say that i love have i actually been listening to them <laughs> that much <laughs> <laughs> I'm always pleasantly surprised when Radiohead's in my Spotify raps or my nice. whatever Apple Music stuff because I claim they're my favorite band, but then sometimes I go months without listening to them. So uh, I I'm honestly couldn't nervous. tell you. I have no idea what's going to end up in mine. That's going to be fascinating. Last year um, was all my kids' music, so this year's hopefully going to. I'm guessing it's going to be a lot of hip hop because my sons have been into you know a big hip hop and a big Weird Al kick. I'm guessing there's going to be a lot of Weird Al in my Apple. <laughs> <laughs> end of the year list. <laughs> I think I told you my end of the year list last year had all of this classical music in oh, it. Oh, it's your dog. Because, yeah, exactly. Apple Music <laughs> can't tell when I'm asking to play music to relax my dog versus just like <laughs> I actually like it. It's super annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need like to be able to edit our history and ignore certain artists. You should. I at least do the like dislike that like don't suggest more like this. But that's the only there's not like a sophisticated way to control the algorithm at all. So get your music in, cram it if you need an album, the best album for finishing your year. I'm still really into this Wednesday record. I've been coming back to that over and over. Yeah? That's actually a good record for the fall, too. I should put that on. Let us know your favorite albums for the fall, and we will see you next week. See you soon.